I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two films with something in common go head-to-head to to see which one does it better on this week's episodes in the red corner. Questionable parenting and lax school security mean that a young boy named Bastion decides to spend the night in his comprehensive attic with a book he stole from an old man. But what a book. Rock biters, luck dragons, giant stone bosoms, and one of the most harrowing animal scenes in the history of cinema await. It's 1984's Altogether Now, Never Ending Story. What is the secret of this enchanted book? What wonders are hidden within its pages? What magical spell does it cast on all who read it? What is the secret of the never-ending story? But that's impossible! You will enter a world where a young boy's imagination becomes a vivid reality. The world of Atreyu and Artax, the Rockbiter, and a good and kind gnome. While in the blue corner, a kid gets to live my own childhood dream of having Lieutenant Columbo come round to read him a bedtime story as Peter Falk proves to Fred Savage that books are way better than video games. And how? We're going on a magical adventure with Wesley and Princess Buttercup, but most importantly... Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. From 1987, it's the Princess Bride. (coughs) I brought you a special present. What is it? A book? This is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. I'll try and stay awake. Wesley had no money for marriage. 
So he packed his few belongings and left the farm to seek his fortune across the sea. The law of the land gave Humperdinck the right to choose his bride. The fabric will make the prince suspect the Gilderians have abducted his love. I never say anything about killing anyone. I just happened to look behind us and something is there. He's obviously seen us with the princess and let's therefore die. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Or should that be which one does it meta? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. So this week we're on a fantastical 80s adventure as it's the never-ending story versus the Princess Bride. Today's episode is all about the never-ending story and on Thursday we're going to be going through the Princess Bride. So we asked you to have a guess on uh, what these movies might be on Twitter. We are at ClashPod if you're not already following us. The clue that I gave you was... Both films feature characters getting swamped. Now, Chris and I uh, had a bit of a back and forth about what this clue should be, didn't we, Chris, on WhatsApp? Yep, I think I came up with swamped, so well done, Chris. Yep. <laughs> good, good. I thought I'd let you uh, get that in, but yes, you, you did come up with swamped. But that's because the one I came up with um, was was one that I just didn't want to have exist ad infinitum on social media, which was... Old men, kids, and books in the eighties. It just sounds. It just sounds wrong. You can say it, but you don't want it to sort of live on forever. It's, it feels like the kind of tweet that might get picked up in the future. Now, obviously, uh, both these films that we're talking about contain famous swamps and characters sinking into them. Uh, those are the Swamp of Sadness, the Neverending Story, and the Fire Swamp in the Princess Bride. So, no one got this. Uh, we had a lot of guesses about characters getting swamped. The guesses were Shrek. Paul Logue went with Shrek versus Labyrinth. Um, we couldn't do Labyrinth. Uh, um, we can't do Labyrinth because we've already done Labyrinth, haven't we, guys? Yeah, you paired it very logically with uh, Free Jack, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we we burnt through Labyrinth with Free Jack uh, just in, just for fans who might not have visited those early shows. It was. Um, Films featuring the stars of the cover of Dancing in the Street. So there you go. Uh, um, Ethan Hunt goes with Shrek versus Shrek 2. Uh, Tom goes with Shrek versus Swamp Thing. Again, a lot of Swamp Things. Uh, Andrew Steen, talking of curveballs, went with Swamp Thing versus Daddy Daycare. Uh, he says one is obviously from a swamp and the other they get swamped by kids. There's logic there. Then we get into the ones that got closest. So we have Tom, who says, The NeverEnding Story versus Stand By Me. Paul Jordan says, The NeverEnding Story versus Labyrinth. Blackheart went with The NeverEnding Story versus Flash Gordon. And finally, Russell uh, was the only one who went with a guest for The Princess Bride. And he went with The Princess Bride versus Flash Gordon. The connection being, both have porno versions. Um <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever seen Flesh Gordon. Uh, I haven't, but they did used to stock it at my local video shop, so I was aware of that one. I had to look up the Princess Bride porno, and I'm not going to repeat it here. 
because it's kind of a grim title. Oh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I really want to know it now. <laughs> I know you do, and I knew as I said that I, I'm. I now want to tell you, but I just don't know. Do you want to know, Vicky? Is it a play on as you wish? But I can't think of anything dirty. So no. no. Okay. No, it's not. It's called. Um, <laughs> it's no, called no. print. I know. It's called Princess Butterbutt. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay yeah. I know. It's, it's just, not that bad. It's not that bad. It's the imagery that it conjures up. If I'd watched it, I probably wouldn't feel so bad, but I didn't. So uh, back to today's episode. The never-ending story versus the Princess Bride guys. Connections. What are your guesses? Uh, my connection is, uh, but I feel like we've covered it, old men love books and hate video games. It's a good call. Chris? Yeah, I mean, obviously it came up, but I, I'd written down initially before we gave out the clue, that sinking feeling, because we, as you said, we've got the swamp of sadness and the pit of despair. Um, it is quite a specific connection between the two. Um, mm. They're both about passing down stories from generation to generation as well. That's one of the underlying messages of both movies. Yep. Um, in, inappropriate boobs as well. Uh, wait. Yeah, wait. And the Princess Bride? Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Oh. All right. <laughs> okay, I look forward to look forward to that on uh, Thursday's episode. I can't think of them. Um, the only other connection, other than the obvious one, which I found, was um, uh, bickering old married couples who help our hero. You've got Billy oh, Crystal yeah. and That's Carol Kane, and then the two in um, A NeverEnding Story. Uh, but, yeah, it's adaptations of fantasy books that actually involve books, which one does it matter? <laughs> yeah. so, do you so proud of yourself that you know what meta means? <laughs> oh, I can't stop grinning. You've really made me happy with that, Alex. <laughs> I thought I would. My little boy's all grown up. <laughs> I impressed Chris. My work here is done. Um, all right. We do it chronologically. The Princess Bride came out in 1987. The Neverending Story came out in 1984. Chris, you had the Neverending Story. Take us on this journey. Okay, I'll start as we always start these days with a synopsis. And first off, an apology because I'm going to swear in this one, but it is necessary. So Netflix says the Neverending Story is rated U for threat and emotionally intense scenes, which is bollocks as it should be rated F for how much it effed me up in 1984 scaring me, traumatising me, and giving six-year-old me what I now know to be an existential crisis. The film is framed by the story of bullied boy Balstian Balthazar Bucks, reading a book about a fantastical place called Fantasia being engulfed by a mysterious destructive force called the Nothing. Through that book, we meet a colourful cast of characters, including a rock biter, a racing snail, a pair of squabbling gnomes, a narcoleptic bet, bat, a gigantic tortoise, a childlike empress, Gamok the wolf, Falcor the Luck Dragon and the hero of the story, Atreyu. But more memorable are the movie's many messed up moments. Most notably, Atreyu coming face to face with four gigantic sphinx tits. And in, the most, <laughs> and in the most effed up moment of them all, his trusty steed dying because it loses all hope. Right in front of our eyes in a fucking kids film. <laughs> but in spite of all that pain and suffering, the ending is a happy one, with Atreyu defeating nothing in the book and Bastion getting revenge on his bullies in real life. Now, Bastion, you're old enough to get your head down out of the clouds and 
Start keeping both feet on the ground, right? Okay. This book is not for you. Nothing is destroying our world. But there just might be one chance. His name is Atreyu. You would be willing to go on a quest? Of course. It will be very dangerous. But if you fail... The Empress will surely die, and our whole world will be utterly destroyed. So that is never-ending story in a nutshell. Uh, people, <laughs> yeah. what are your memories of watching this film, if you have any? Um, I've seen this film, uh, I'd say... Uh, a million times. <laughs> oh wow! Um, huh. Yeah, really. Seen, yeah, I've seen it a million, million times. But obviously, not not at all since I was very young. So I'd completely forgotten. So I've watched it again in the week, but as an adult this time because I'd forgotten all my childhood memories of it. Specifically, that Bastian's mum is dead, um, and I don't know why I didn't register that as a child because it's so really heavy. Obviously. Um, so I've been exam. I've been doing a lot of internal analysis of myself this week because that came as such a shock to me this time. Even though, like I say, I've seen it one million times. Isn't it amazing that a, a kids' film will do that? Though, like you, you sort of go, "Oh my god, I'm going to have to ask questions about my being." Yeah. Uh, oh my god, I've watching... been doing that all week. So I thought it's either a, I was made to feel really safe as a child, so it didn't affect me because it's like that's not a threat to me. I'm really comfortable in my world. Or b. I am incapable of authentic emotional responses, and I think. Did you me. show your kids it? Did you show? Did you watch it with your kids? Yeah, I did because I knew it would and? be. They didn't. Oh, it's really difficult. They wanted to know why he was sad about his mum, and I, well, I just lied <laughs> and I just said that she. <laughs> <laughs> I said that she'd gone out and she hadn't come back. <laughs> Isn't Wait, so isn't that worse that she has a kid and she's just chosen to leave and never return than died? I think you've made it worse. Was that was that a veiled threat to your children that if you upset mummy, mummy might leave and never come back? I'm always on the verge of walking out of here. Not a threat, not a threat. Actually, actually a fact. Actually a fact, yeah. If lockdown hadn't come along, boys, then... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I watched it as a kid and it went on my blacklist of movies as a kid that I would never watch again because of, as you've already mentioned, the heartbreaking Arctic scene. Um, I just, I remember that and I remember it breaking me. And so I just never, never desired to watch it again. I didn't remember any of it apart from that scene when I watched it again. And um, that scene, yeah, it, it did, did me in all over again. It proper did me in. I was a mess and I, I knew it was coming and I, I prepared myself as best I could. But no, I was a blubbering, tissue-soaked mess. Yeah. What? From crying, from from crying at the scene. Uh, I don't hate horses. Okay. 
All right, that's much better. Um, I'm somewhere between the pair of you. I, I do remember watching this repeatedly as a kid, and I kind of remember the excitement and the fear I felt putting it on each time because I knew it was going to frighten me and upset me, but also it was a really fun, exciting, fancy film at the same time. And uh, although I did remember that and know that his mum had died, I guess I haven't watched this since I was a kid. I hadn't really understood what the film was really about and the metaphor that's there and the underlying message, which is really heavy and deep. So it was interesting mm. seeing it through sort of, you know, the eyes of an adult. And uh, I was impressed, actually, um, about how much is going on there without you realising as a child. Yeah, I, I, I remember not thinking I liked Bastion very much as a kid or that I, ju- I remember watching it as a kid and wanting to be a Treyu and thinking Bastion was a bit of a loser. And I watched it this time and I was like, ugh. A Treyu man, shut up. Where's Bastion? <laughs> I love him. He's great. He's what a real kid is. You're such a poser, a Treyu. So, so, have either of you read the book? No. Nah. This did. Uh, I, I. This was one of the first books I think I sought out myself when I was a kid to read, having watched the film because I was super intrigued and wanting to know more. And I remember it being my favourite book when I was a kid. Um, it was huge. It was huge, wasn't it? It was like apparently they did like Harry Potter numbers in Europe. It sold like fifteen million copies. It was a massive deal. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was a real event when it got published in Germany first time around. Michael End, who wrote it, was a, a pretty successful fantasy writer already. And when this came out at the end of nineteen seventy nine, he held the top three spots in the German book charts. So, yeah, he was the J.K. Rowling of his day in Germany. Um, although he didn't. He didn't sell the book for quite the same amount of money that J.K. Rowling did. He he got £50,000 for the film rights. And when you put that in perspective, The Princess Bride sold for 500000 So, bit he of a difference £50,000? Uh, dollars, rather, yeah, for the, for the film rights. $50,000? Yeah. See, well, you'd think maybe that's why he was so, like like angry all the time by the sounds of things in pre-production on this movie. He wasn't happy, was he? He was not happy. Well, he wasn't initially um, upset. So I have a lot of quotes that we can dig into. I'm sure you do as well um, as we go along. But when he first did the deal, um, he said, I I wasn't opposed to them translating my work. He said, I collaborated with the director Wolfgang Peterson on script and I worked as an advisor because I wanted a beautiful movie. I trusted them. (laughs) <laughs> which is ominous yeah. ominous <laughs> yeah yeah peterson tells it slightly differently he basically suggests that this guy wanted it his novel adapted in the same way they adapted harry potter like word for word almost beat for beat on screen he didn't want an adaptation as much as a movie of the book which i know is an adaptation but you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I can I can see both of their points of view uh, on this, but I think it's some of his quotes are uh, quite funny. Um, once we get into the film, but um, in terms of the making of it, they had no uh, CGI to speak of when they were putting this together, so they had to invent visual effects as they went along. I mean, the budget kept going up and up, and it was ended up being the most expensive film ever shot outside um, America. Uh, and Russia, it cost 60 million German marks, which was nearly 30 million US dollars. Um, yeah. Which is... It was, it, was, it was the German filming. It was their first real foray into blockbuster filmmaking. It was what, filmmaking, wasn't it? It was the first big German blockbuster. 
Yeah. Uh, and and you know, um, I'll, I'll I'll get into this a bit later, but but um, Peterson got help from um, Steven Spielberg when he was editing it because Spielberg was a big fan of his uh, previous film Das Boot. Uh, but as they were um, pulling it together, Michael N started worrying. He said he felt like they were trying to do a Disney movie, um, to which Wolfgang Peterson replied, of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, what a terrible idea that is. <laughs> uh, which upset the filmmaker. And, and a lot of it, we'll talk about the ending, but but um, my, uh, Peterson wasn't sure how to end the movie. And um, we'll get into the decision that he made. Uh, but Michael End was was opposed to it philosophically uh was very unhappy about it tried to get an injunction to stop the release of the movie uh just before it was about that's, to come out that's the most amazing he went he went to court like this is how unhappy he was he was uh, he went to court and and when i don't want stop this movie being released and they went nah sorry <laughs> that's quite good or something like that. nine sorry <laughs> yeah you took the money they've made the movie it's quite good piss off um and so before we get into the movie proper um i've got one last quote from michael end uh when he saw the movie he said it's unspeakable it became an unspeakable story which would have been that would have been a much worse title (laughs) (laughs) there's a film in there somewhere though i know but it must have sucked for him though because i think it i i honestly did not know um it was a book until i started doing my research on this i and um I think that must upset him that the film and the film's success, because it was a huge, huge hit. It was like over a hundred million dollars it made. Um, that kind of eclipsed like his book. Uh, it became like to people like me, oh, the movie, it's what? It's based on a book. I didn't know that. Sorry, Michael. Sure. But at the same time, millions of kids, kids, including me, read the book because of the film and really enjoyed the book, which, you know, I don't think they would have found the book necessarily. I don't even know if it would have got published in a lot of countries um, had it not been for this film. So, um, yeah, maybe don't bite the hand that feeds you, Michael. Yeah, Michael. Um, all right. Should we get into the movie then? Hell yes, there's so much to talk about, Chris. There is. I mean, immediately we've got that song that transports me back to 1984. Uh, Yes. Are we fans of the song? Yes. Yes. Oh, Vicky, I thought you were going to be all cynical and nasty Vicky there and go, no, it's shit. No, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. I've been singing it all week, all week. That that literally it takes all of seven seconds from this movie starting to be in this movie, and it's that bloody song. I was like, oh, I'm not sure about watching this again. Should I have picked this movie? Oh my god, the never-ending story! What's gonna happen? It, 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 for some reason, just the song itself makes me think of Spielberg and Amblin and all the movies that that were coming out of that period um i don't know what it is it's just something magical it's, it's obviously joe giorgio moroda the you know the great um uh, musician and you know the sort of the godfather of electronica and you've got lamal from kajagoogoo <laughs> yeah it's lamal <laughs> it's freaking lamal man <laughs> um, but what's lovely is the film already had a score but they managed to sort of use bits of this song uh which was written by someone else throughout the movie, which I think makes the score really magical. I mean, it's Lamal. It's, it's Chris, it's Lamal. Never ending story. It's, it's the best. I remembered the song 
Falcor and Artex, and that was it. That was all I remembered walking into this movie. And when that song ticked that first box, I was back there. I was little me waiting for a Atreyu to turn up so I could be like, oh, I want to be a Atreyu and then be disappointed by a Atreyu this time around. So uh, once we've got through the awesome song, we find out, as Vicky said, Bastion's mum has died. He's living in a dream world. His dad says he's got to get his head out of the clouds and keep both feet on the ground. He doesn't. He says, um, we can't let mum's death stop us from getting the job done. (laughs) (laughs) It's even worse than get your head. Does he say get your head out of the clouds? I can't remember. He says both both those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's so so mean and so chilling. (laughs) It's awful. It's a lesson in fucking bad parenting. Like, this is like everything he does is awful. He he says that about uh, mum's death shouldn't prevent us from getting the job done. All that's missing is him going, old boy. And, (laughs) Then he goes, I'm also disappointed that you didn't try out for the swimming team. Yeah. And you're like, fucking mum died. Yeah. And then he goes, I'm going to have the freakiest breakfast I can think of just to upset you. Have a raw egg and some orange juice. This is the 1980s after all, Bastion. Yeah, I know. So I did. Disturbing drink. I did uh, Google um, cracking a raw egg into orange juice. Because I wanted to yeah, know more. Yeah, it used to be a thing. Well, because it's protein, but also in the 80s, they didn't know about sugar as much as we know now. So they're like, yeah, OJ, that's great for you. Yeah. Stick a bit of protein oh, and, in there. Off you go. And, salmon, and salmonella hadn't become a thing. It hadn't that's had its true. heyday. So, But do you know what I found out? I found out, I can't believe we all looked into this. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a fucking dragon in this movie. But let's talk about <laughs> eggs and orange juice. Uh, it was it was one of the concept drinks of the 70s because it was the first time blenders had become affordable for people at home. So oh. people could blend stuff for the first time. And I mean, it's a natural leap, isn't it? I can blend at home. Pass me an orange and an egg. <laughs> well, the, 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 someone had actually, the first thing that came up was someone asked the question, was it common for people in the 80s to blend a raw egg with orange juice similar to the breakfast Bastion's dad made? And the three answers came up. Someone said it's a hangover cure. Orange juice. It is a hangover cure, yeah. Orange juice. That's how I know it. (laughs) Yep. Someone else uh, wrote it was an instant breakfast. Um, People used to do it all the time, especially before the salmonella scare. And it was nicknamed after that salmonella pop. Wow. (laughs) Um, And then someone else said, yes, we blended raw egg with OJ in the 70s. Seems like we also put in some vanilla pudding mix to make it creamy. I think we were trying to recreate an orange Julius. What the fuck is all of those things? What's vanilla pudding mix? That's disgusting. <laughs> I think it's self-explanatory, Victoria, but okay, it's a mix that creates vanilla pudding when you put it together and cook what? it. What's vanilla pudding? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> all right, whatever. Orange Julius is an American chain of fruit drink beverage stores which have been in business oh. since the late 1920s. And the Orange Julius drink itself was a mixture of ice, orange juice, sweetener milk, powdered egg whites, and vanilla flavouring. Oh, see, I, okay. I, this isn't the first time I've seen raw eggs cracked into a blender, though. If you ever used to watch, because I was thinking, I've seen this before. If you ever used to watch Neighbours um, yeah. in the 90s, remember Brad, the surfer dude, who used to go out with Natalie and Brulia's character, yeah, Beth? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do remember. He, he used to do it as well. He used to crack raw <laughs> eggs into a blender, because I remember being disturbed by it then and not paying <laughs> a lot of attention to their romance, because I was like, that guy's weird. She should, he probably. <laughs> He's probably murdered someone and because what is he doing? And wasn't Rocky a trailblazer on that front if we're if we're going into history? I, I imagine I don't remember it in, in Yeah. Rocky. Did he do it in Rocky? <laughs> Blew my head, yeah. He, he didn't have the he didn't bother with the orange juice. He just cracked the raw eggs and drank it. 
And he does it all in one. It's you can see it's Stallone properly doing it. He cracks like four raw eggs into a, into a cup and then drinks them all. Oh, there's too many. There's too many. Uh, Victoria, I've already, I've also looked up while we were talking vanilla pudding, and yeah. uh, the definition of vanilla pudding is a pudding made with vanilla. Does that answer your question? <laughs> no, it does not. Uh, but let's not dwell on it. Can I? So, the can one, I apologise thing... to people who've tuned in to listen to a podcast about the running story? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Let's get back to Neverending Story because the best part about that entire dad conversation is that thing that some people do at the end of his conversation. He reviews his own conversation because he does everything, all that awful stuff he says, and then the end he reviews it. He goes, "Well, I think we've had a good talk." It's like, <laughs> That's for someone else to say, Dick. We do that over WhatsApp after we recorded the podcast. Yeah, but I hope we're talking about each other. Are we all talking about just our own contribution? I'm talking about me. That was an awesome podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we get a little insight into Bastian's life in in the sense that he's bullied. The the bullies thrown in a garbage can, and then they wait for him and <laughs> go to throw him in the garbage pan again. So he hides in a bookshop. And uh, the bookstore owner does a bit of reverse psychology on Bastion that really works, tells him the book that he's reading to forget about it. It's not for you. He's amazing. Do you know what that character's called? Carl Conrad Coriander. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. But he's brilliant, though, because he's basically, I mean, if you you haven't seen the movie, it's what would happen if Quint from Jaws owned a bookshop. He's like... (laughs) You want to borrow the book, huh? It's like a doll's eyes. And then we get that kind of, I've written down our save the cat moment here, but that little sweet moment where Bastion steals it, but leaves him a really lovely little note saying, don't worry, I'll return your book. So we know Bastion's a really lovely, good kid. Um, Mm. And then we're into the never ending story. So we meet those characters I I previously mentioned, Rockbiter, Teeny Weenie, Nighthob, the Racing Stale, the Bats, and... Was kind of introduced to the nothing, which um, they had real trouble trying to create this. What's essentially nothing um, until someone came up with the idea of in- <laughs> of injecting injecting coloured oil into salt water, which is how they got those formations that look like moving clouds. Which obviously yeah. is very cheap to do, but looks really impressive. The problem is, it's not it's not nothing though. Like the whole thing that the rock biter goes, someone goes, "What is it? Is it a is it a hole?" And he goes, "No, a hole would be something. It's just nothing." And you're like, oh, "That's ominous." Like trying to get that your head around the concept of it just being nothing then you look at it you go it's clouds it's it's cl- look that's not it's not nothing it's sort of clouds alex what what did you want it to be then nothing i i wanted to, i wanted it to blow my fucking mind i wanted to just see nothing for the first time it's like that thing where people go before the big bang there was nothing and as a kid you go oh what how i can't imagine nothing is it black and they're like it can't be black because black is something it's just nothing but they do settle on it being black here, don't they? As the film goes on and uh, as the nothing destroys Fantasia, it's a, it's a, the clouds sort of storm through and things get blown away and then there's just a, a black, isn't there, there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I'm trying to I stick mean, up for them because I don't know how else they do this. No, I know, I know. I just, I'm, I'm sort of, I love that scene where Rockbiter turns up and talks to Deep Roy. I didn't realise, I was like, that can't be Deep Roy because he looks about the same age as he does when he's in... Charlie in the Chocolate Factory is the Umpa Lumpa, yeah. but that's Deep Roy. I was like, I was, I was he's quite still, amazed. He's still not even that old. I was I, that. I was. I was checking. I was looking him up, and 
it was kind of blowing me away. He's just so, he still seems to be, have been around forever. Mm. Uh, it's quite a, it's quite a scene though, isn't it? Because it it does not need to be there at all. I found that amazing watching it because these characters uh, play very little part in the rest of the story at all. And yet there's this really long talky scene with them. And you could legitimately have started it at the Ivory Tower with a bit of like Bastion reading out loud going, apparently that nothing has hurt the Empress and we're starting at the Ivory Tower. But you get this brilliant scene that immediately goes, this is something different to what you'd expect from a fantasy movie today. And it makes it feel like a lived in world, I think. Just I think that's what it does, because... Uh, hardly anyone really speaks when they get to the ivory tower, but you see that Fantasia is made up of all these different kinds of breeds of person and character and creature and all sort of interacting with each other. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I love the snail and I love, um, I love rock biter. And I, if we didn't have rock biter introduced at this point, we wouldn't get that beautiful payoff with him later on where the nothing's finally got to him. But we'll get to that. So we're at the Ivory Tower. So we've got a princess that lives in an actual Ivory Tower, which is the kind of clever writing I would expect in Princess Bride, weirdly. But um, <laughs> um, so we, we see the Ivory Tower. It looks beautiful, but author Michael End didn't think that. <laughs> he said, oh, what's he said he about said, this? What the film contains for imagination hardly exceeds the standard of an average nightclub. Uh, the interior, <laughs> the interior of the ivory tower only misses having a mirror ball. So oh, wow! God. I tell you what, I've never wanted to go out more in my life. If I can go to that club that looks like that ivory tower <laughs> with a mirror ball, yeah, Giorgio Moroder's fucking there. Brilliant. Yeah, German nightclubs in the eighties were impressive. <laughs> uh, yes, please. <laughs> and so uh, we get sort of a lot of exposition and explanation here about the nothing destroying their world. The empress is becoming ill. There's a link between the two. They don't know what to do. But there's a the plains people um, who hunt the purple buffalo. Uh, purple buffalo have a brave warrior who can fight, and he's their only hope. I'm gutted. Don't talk about purple buffalo, and then don't show us purple buffalo. They just show us really? buffalo. Yeah. They just show us buffalo. It's not. Can you not imagine? Can you not imagine what a purple buffalo looks like, Chris? Yeah, but if you if you if you bring it up, show it. Show don't tell. <laughs> he's he's right, you know. He is right. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that was a hangover from um. Initially, Atreyu was supposed to be green, but they um they tried it out and he looked ridiculous. Have you just made that up? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I haven't. And so um, what the end? That's, that's one of those things where you go. Did, did you need to try it out though? Could you just? <laughs> could you not just to talk that through? So what? He's got our hero, the one that kids are going to want to aspire to be. The uh, the realization that Bastion's imaginary self. No kid goes. I want to be a hero. I want to ride a horse. I want to hunt the purple buffalo. But I want to be green. <laughs> Well, what they did instead, Alex, is um, the actor they cast, Noah Hathaway, they sent him to a tanning salon, that young boy. Did they? Yeah, so that because, <laughs> oh, he, because he's kind of like a Native American character almost, and yeah, they didn't think his skin was dark enough. So one of the many nice things they did to this poor kid, which we will, we will talk to <laughs> as we go along. But the, um, the, the rest of Fantasia can't believe he's a kid. Uh, but give him the job. Um, he's told he must go alone and leave all his weapons behind, which is the first of many arbitrary rules on this quest. <laughs> which make no sense, but they just kind of get said. Um, and then they don't put much pressure on him, but they tell him <laughs> if he fails, the Empress will die and the world will be destroyed. 
Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, they saw him coming. They're such dickheads to him because they're like, they're like, you're a kid, you can't do this. He's like, I am the person you sent for. They're like, damn, he's made us look like fools. Uh, well, new rule. Uh, you're not allowed any weapons on the quest, by the way. Just, uh, just, uh, just got an email, so leave them behind. Good luck. <laughs> um, and at the same time, we check in with Bastion here, which uh, both this film and Princess Bride does. They keep checking in with the people reading the book, which is nice just to remind us um, of the sort of framing story. And, and uh, Bastion sees what looks like a Treyu stencils on his bag. So we start questioning if the story is is actually coming from his imagination. Is he reading the book or is the book reading him? Um, <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> uh, we'll take a short break and we'll be back after this advert. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We could call it Pete and Mark's Colossal Tussle. Uh, but we didn't. We called it Wrestle Me. <laughs> Wrestle Me, Mark. <laughs> Wrestle Me, Pete. <laughs> A celebration of all things WrestleMania and beyond. And you may be thinking, I'm not really into wrestling. Well, don't worry. There's something for everyone. To be honest, it's mainly about stuff like this. So hang on. Easy Lover was the original theme on WrestleMania. And, it was. And... Someone heard it on the radio and went, that sums up everything about <laughs> WrestleMania to me. And this. You can really see the old back acne on test. Yeah. <laughs> and this. Is it worth reminding people of what earthquake John Tenter looked like at 23 years old? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
this. For the record, Marty has made it very clear, and I agree and believe him, that he has never, A, had sex with his daughter, or B, wanted to have sex with his daughter. And the people behind the face paint doing the most unique job in the entire world. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wrestle Me. Wrestle Me, Mark. Wrestle Me, Pete. Okay, good. So we uh, we left uh, with uh, Chris getting into the meta uh, aspect of this. Yeah, I mean, are we reading him? I think were your last words. Yeah, I, th- I was really proud when I wrote that down. Does does it work? <laughs> it does. It, it, does, it, it does, does. Yeah. Because there's that thing where the Empress says uh, we get to it a bit later, but she when she turns up, she's all about this whole thing. There are others watching, which is alluding to her being aware of us, the audience, watching Bastion reading the book about Fantasia. Yeah, it's mind-blowing, especially as I was six when I first watched this. It's mind-blowing to think that you're maybe a part of this story. And the book does lots of tricks like that as well, I remember. Yeah, I I, honestly, you were a smart six-year-old, Chris. I I don't remember any of that. I ignored that completely. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, Bastion's in the book, and that's the end of that. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God, a luck dragon. Yeah, it's cool. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, it doesn't look like a dragon at all, but it's a luck dragon. That's all I cared about, that and the bloody horse dying. In the ivory tower, though, did you also spot the many uh, copyright infringements in Longshot? No. No. Oh, so um, there's when they do a long shot of the crowd in the ivory tower, it's different to the close up. Uh, there's a lot more characters, and if you look closely, you can see E.T., Mickey Mouse, Chewbacca, <laughs> um, no. Ewoks, and C.3PO. Honestly, no yeah, way. honestly, a hundred percent. I'll stick it on the Twitter. You can see the picture. You can clearly see them. So someone's having a laugh. Quite a dangerous uh, oh, but, <laughs> laugh, but um, yeah, amazing. Uh, I can't believe. So when Wolfgang Peterson went to Spielberg, and went, yeah, uh, could you maybe um, re-edit uh, my my movie? Uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, went, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm probably going to cut out? E fucking teammate. <laughs> I made that. <laughs> Naughty, naughty Wolfgang. Um, And so we leave the uh, ivory tower. uh, Elsewhere in Fantasia, we see that Gmork the wolf um, is starting his journey to track down Atreyu and stop him. Um, And then we get the big scene. So Atreyu's already been to the desert of Shattered Hopes, which sounds bad (laughs) enough. (laughs) That kind of blew my mind, and he seems to be doing okay. Um, He's trying to find Mauler the Ancient One, who's the wisest person in Fantasia. She lives in the Shell Mountain, which is somewhere in the deadly swamps of sadness. Yeah, right. So you hear that. Desert of Shattered Dreams, Swamp of Ultimate Sadness or whatever. Is it such a bad thing that Fantasia is being wiped out? (laughs) Because it's full of dickheads who hate kids and are rude to them. And it sounds pretty awful. Yeah, it's a bit of a downer. Well, we find out at the end that that Fantasia is made up of all our dreams and fantasies and wishes. So uh, that's all coming from us, I guess. Oh, really? Not me. Is there a a land? Is there? So there's the the desert of shattered dreams, the swamp of sadness, the naked on a bus surrounded by your school friends. Uh, These are all the different lands. When I have a little snooze after we've recorded the podcast, I do enter the swamp of sadness. (laughs) <laughs> do you have a nap you have time for a nap you disgust me <laughs> oh vicky oh vicky i'm so busy i'm so very busy <laughs> I've, got, I've got kids i've got kids everyone 
There's loads of them. <laughs> and I've got two. <laughs> and I've got two on this count. <laughs> yeah, shove. Shove about your fucking kids, Vicky. <laughs> Apart from this Let's episode this where we're film. talking about kids' yeah. films. So, yeah, you're allowed yeah, to talk sure. about them on this one. Okay. Oh, um, and oh, so, it's funny the idea that you need a nap after this, though, Chris. It makes it seem like you're giving your all. Uh, it doesn't feel like you deserve a nap. After these <laughs> really? I'm on fire at the moment. Um, so, uh, if you let the sadness overtake you, you sink into the swamp. And this is one of the most traumatic film scenes of the 1980s, without doubt. Ever! Ever! It's one of the most traumatic film scenes ever! Yeah, and I guess the 80s is that is that very weird decade where this stuff happened a lot, where you don't get kids' films like this now. You got them a bit before, but just people were off the leash in the 80s, putting this really, really <laughs> messed up stuff in in family films. And I actually used to, when I used to interview directors and actors, I'd always say, well, you know, what's the movie moment that messed you up when you were a kid? And it would always or, or messed you up the most in your life it would always be from kids films in the 80s it was just crackers what what directors <laughs> and writers were doing um and, and it's this... also a time when crackers was used as a phrase a lot <laughs> uh and and yeah so <laughs> oh i could crush a grape <laughs> so i think this is the first time i've watched it without crying but that's mainly probably because i was just making notes and concentrating um did you get how did your kids react to this vicky oh it was it's yeah i feel really uh, guilty. i know this <laughs> yes. i know this I, I said to vicky what did they make of this on whatsapp tell them what you told me so when i was watching it i wasn't moved as a grown-up i was like oh that's good so i just sort of assumed they wouldn't be and the two youngest didn't have a clue what was going on but my eldest looked at me just so stricken and he's he's going where's the horse Where's the horse? So I was like, oh, no, this is, I've made a big fucking error here. This is awful. So I told them, and then the other two picked up on it, and they were like, where's the horse? Where's the horse? So I told them that Artex uh, had got bored with the adventure because it was taking too long, and he, uh, Artex had found an underwater tunnel and had swum through it and just gone back home and was just waiting for a train at the other end. And they bought that, and it was fine. Apart from, I then had to prove with visuals that horses can swim which they, I think they can, so it's fine. So I've got what? like a few a few pictures, because they don't, you know, they don't always believe everything you say, so sometimes you have to prove it. But they did believe me that um, Artex had found an underwater tunnel. I, but I had to think, I was like, shit, what am I going to say? And I thought I could tell them the truth. Then I was like, absolutely not tell them the truth. Like, no way. Um, so it's fine. <coughs> All fine. God, you're a good liar. Yeah. I know. Mm. So quick as well. So quick. <laughs> yeah, um, did you at the start of that though? Before we um, got into you lying to your children, mm. um, did we cover you not being moved by it I as know. an adult? And I knew you were going to bring this up. So into why do you hate animals? I know, so and much? I knew you would say that. It's like oh, I was like, oh my god, do I fucking hate horses? Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like, just to add to the list of other animals, I do not care. Every about. time we talk about an animal on this podcast, you sort of go, no, I didn't. No, I, I thought it should either die or it's good that it died no, or just, some situation. Were you clapping and were you, were you clapping and cheering all through Tiger King? Oh my god, I love that so much. Oh, you're a sicko. You're a sicko. <laughs> well, I tell you what I did think, which is nitpicky, 
but let's talk about that rather than focusing on my cold, cold heart, <laughs> is that Atreyu is in the sadness swamp, swamp of sadness, and the horse has just succumbed to sadness and died. So therefore, Atreyu has suffered a sadness in the swamp of sadness, and yet it yeah. doesn't it doesn't really affect him. He just wades through it. So Chris, is he like, do you want to feel this one? Well, oh, I, I would, do you know I, the answer, Chris? I, uh, no, I was just going to speculate. Do you know the answer, Alex? I'd rather hear you speculate first because then I can go, oh, interesting, here's the answer. But no, you go. Well, it's because he's, he's not letting the sadness overtake him. Um, he's crying his eyes out. He's sad. You yeah. can't, you can't <laughs> yeah. cry without being sad, he, can he, you? He screams. I, I, I do love his word. Fight against the sadness, Artex. You have to try. You have to care. For me, you're my friend. I love you. And then oh, it, oh it, fades to, it fades to black and then it fades up uh, while he's crying and looking at a puddle. <laughs> oh. yeah. Do you know the bit? The bit that gets me every single time is where he's pulling on the reins and he's trying to get Artex out of the swamp. And he's like, Artex, come on. And he starts to get a bit concerned. And then almost as though he's trying to convince himself it's not that bad, he approaches Artex from a different angle and sort of goes, oh, silly horse, you want to come out this way? And you're like, oh, that's heartbreaking because you kind of think he already knows that this is happening, but he won't let himself believe it and he's pretending that the horse is just being silly to himself. Oh, I got goosebumps just yeah. reading in that moment. I, I think Ouch. I just didn't hear a lot of it because I was frantically thinking of something to tell the children. <laughs> You're thinking about underwater <laughs> tunnels. <laughs> I just love the fact that you haven't passed on your innate hatred of other living creatures to your kids. As, um, I'm, I want them to do be better than me, like most parents do. You just go out there, kids, and just try hard to be better. Mm. Uh, the reason our, um, uh, Atreyu isn't overcome, by the way, is the Orin. You know that medallion that oh, he's given? Okay, that okay. protects him. That protects him. Um, if only he temporarily put it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of shooting this, it took them months uh, because uh, of training the horse because it's doing the opposite of what instinct would tell a horse to do. Um, Which is to find a tunnel and to swim <laughs> Um And the producer said that when it was actually happening, he said if you looked into that horse, that horse's eyes, that horse really thought it was the end. You could see it, and that's why the 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 scene worked so well. Which is messed up as well. <laughs> like they actually made a horse think it was dying to get this shot. <laughs> um, but I think Noah Hathaway really, uh, really sells the shit out of it. And, um, uh, and yeah, it, it, in the book, it's worse, though. I believe in the book, you get Artex, you hear his thoughts, and he's literally talking you through his suicide. Oh, God. So I'm kind of glad it's... they uh, didn't it... shoot that. You see, I think I think he's great in this Noah Hathaway, but there were some things that some of the crew, and even Wolfgang Peterson, they weren't huge fans of him. They loved um Barrett Oliver, who played Bastion, but they thought, because he'd come from, he was in Battlestar Galactica, Noah Hathaway, and apparently his parents were nightmares, and like they made it really difficult, and um, the special effects supervisor, Brian Johnson, said Noah Hathaway was a bit of a pain in the ass, frankly. Oh. It's what he said about a child in a film. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to say that. He's it's not, not cool, is it? He's still very bitter. Go on, Alex, sorry. Oh, go on. No, Wolfgang Peterson just said, I didn't care so much for him because he had an attitude, but it was an attitude that you could tell was put there by his parents. They were making so many demands and were essentially trying to blackmail the production. Um, 
his uh, Noah Hathaway's memories aren't exactly glowing. He says, in addition to having his face cut uh, doing a stunt in this movie, he suffered back injuries when his horse took fright and jumped a fence. He ha- he's had to have three back fusions and a neck fusion. Um, which Ooh, is what's ca- a back fusion? I-, I guess. I guess it's where they serve you back with uh, cuisine from a different culture. Oh, I'm into that. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I guess uh, it's 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 his lower vertebrae being fused back together from when oh, the horse no. fell on him. So he's been out of work a lot, and he's still trying to raise money for operations because he's still in bad shape. So this, although he is happy to be a part of this film. He does not have happy memories of making it. And you know what? Yeah. No wonder he was bloody moaning while he was making this stuck in that swamp. The other kid was sitting in a, in an attic reading a book. <laughs> like they clearly put this, this child through absolute horror show. So here's um, another question that my children had, which I think is pertinent. So the attic that Bastian's sitting in, you know, it's like full of uh, stuffed animals and skeletons and the children very seriously, they were like, what's that? I was like, oh, it's a skeleton. It's a fox. And it's at the school. And they looked at me really earnestly and said, oh, did the school murder someone? And I'm not, I don't know, possibly. (laughs) I mean, maybe that's why it's there. Oh God, we need to we need to write that story. It's yeah. nuts, isn't it, that the school has? I mean, first of all, that attic. It's like, all right, we've got an attic here. It's um, it's where we keep the concept of horror. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got we've got an attic at, at a school where we keep the concept of horror. Where should we hide the key? Next to the door in a broken broken key holder on the wall. It's ridiculous. Right. We need to we we're taking we took way too long, although that was the big scene. But let's uh get through this. We've got the luck dragon next, so we've got the saddest scene and then we've got the happiest scene. Uh, you, 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 you need to get to your nap, don't you? <laughs> I'm getting I'm really getting tired. I want my rough. Um so we meet Falco the Luck Dragon to inject a bit of joy into proceedings, who who rescues him and Atreyu wakes up on the paw of this um beautiful, uh huge uh, dragon, uh, not a scary dragon. Um, they said they wanted the dragon to be something kids could relate to. Um, they said we gave it a little bit of the feel and look of a dog, but we get upset when people call it a flying dog. Yeah, but oh. you modelled it on a bloody dog, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's meant to have the look and feel of a dog. So, dog, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a real life prop, forty three feet long. Uh, it's super impressive and has the loveliest face and the big booming voice. Uh, do you know about the voice actor Alex? I thought this would be one for you. Yes, yeah, Alan Oppenheimer. Yeah, he uh, he does the voice of Falcor. He does the voice of the Rockbiter and Gamork in this. But most importantly, he uh, was a voice actor in uh, 80s cartoon He-Man and the Masters of the Universe where he was Skeletor. Yeah. Really? Yeah, an absolute, an absolute legend. I, I wish he'd used more of his Skeletor voice in this one, though, because Falcor, Gamork uh, sound really, really <laughs> similar. Like, they sound exactly yeah. the same. He just growls their voices, and when they're in scenes back to back, it really doesn't work. Uh, yeah, but yeah, a legend, and he's yeah, still I going thought... strong. Falcor's great. Um, he does. I find I don't know. I just find it a bit weird where Atreyu wakes up and his injury has been dressed, and he's been bathed, and he's asleep on the dragon, and it's clear that the dragon has washed and 
dressed his wound while he was asleep. No, and it's then... the elves. The elf thing. It's the gnome. They're, it. they're gnomes. They're gnomes. Okay. Engi, yeah. Engi, Engi, Wook and Urgel. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those elves have um, have done it when he's asleep. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the way the dragon goes. Are oh, you talking your sleep? And then winks at him. It's all very suggestive. Alex, that's your dirty mind. I thought mind. you'd go with this, Chris. No. Chris, of, of, no? Of all of us, you're the one who sees crazy relationships between inanimate puppets and life act, act living. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, as you said, those squabbling gnomes are exactly the same as the two characters in Princess Bride, which we will talk about on the next episode. Uh, but we find out uh, a train's got to pass through a couple of gates, and this is when we get to the Sphinxes, um, <laughs> whose, whose, <laughs> whose eyes stay closed until someone who does not feel his own worth tries to pass by, and then it will destroy them if they don't believe in themselves. So now I don't I don't remember this from my childhood <laughs> that they had uh, big round massive exposed tits. Um, me neither. No, <laughs> no, this is not a childhood memory, uh, Vicky. I was very surprised to see them, but I think okay. because if, if it was today, would they have like a little like a sphinx bikini, a, a sphinxini, if you will? Because people, isn't it? Like, are we a bit more prudish today? They're just boobs. Like they're not sexualized. They are big stone boobs, right? But it is a shock to see them. So is this because I've become sort of I don't know? Are we well, just a, a, bit more a Vicky, a Vicky, all boobs are sexualized, so that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that right? Oh, I heard your little episode. Yeah, fucking yeah. morning about a breastfeeding mother sitting next to you oh, in the oh, cinema. Oh, oh, lovely stuff. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that is peak Chris Tilly. It really is. You are lucky I wasn't. There. She could have sat in any seat in that cinema, and she fucking sat two from me. And in yeah, an just empty what cinema, it was you madness. You're having a go at a baby. You're having well, a go no, at a baby. What happened was she walked into a cinema, thought someone had left their big hairy baby on its own. <laughs> thought it might need feeding too um, just quickly speaking of that episode uh, we recorded a, a sort of filler in episode uh, which vicky wasn't able to be on we had an email about that episode um oh, okay uh from martin who says uh thanks for the bonus podcast uh he says a nice thing about us it helps keep me sane um while all this is going on uh this week's was just what i needed but it has helped me to understand that vicky is what elevates the show from really good to amazing <laughs> Oh my god, Martin. that has made my dick. Ma- well, you might not like the next bit. Martin says it's, oh no. it's like when the Chicago Bulls signed Dennis Rodman. I don't know what that means, so that's fine. Excellent. I would love for you uh, to Google after the podcast. Please Google Dennis Rodman, Vicky. And oh no. I'd love to know what you think when you realise you've been compared to him. I can it be mad? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but thank you for that, Martin. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks. Um, Thanks, I think, Martin. I uh, guess, really. This is going to... Yeah, I mean, it's all fun and games now. This is... I don't know. I think you've started something, Martin. I'm not going to lie. It's good. This, this... I'm going to mark, mark this moment. This is the beginning of the end. Trust me. Uh, um, now, do you want to know what Michael you know, End thought of the Sphinxes? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. He says, uh, they are one of the biggest embarrassments of the film. They are full bosom oh. strippers who sit there in the desert. They are perfect orgies of kitsch. Wow. And <laughs> um, he said, I think he also said um, that he wanted the film uh, to be as chaste as his book. Um, 
And I think Wolfgang Peterson heard that and thought he said chest. <laughs> hey, Chris. It's good. Hey. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. But we uh, we have got to get through this. Um, so Sorry. yeah, he has to get through these gates without getting zapped. Um, how do you think you guys would get on? Would you? Would you? Oh well, it doesn't apply to me, does it? Because it's someone who does not know his worth. Would it kill them to say her or theirs? You know. So I'm not even allowed through the fucking gate. So not interested. <laughs> God, she has to always turn it into this, doesn't she, Alex? Every, everything. It's not me. Don't, don't victim blame. I'm just pointing out what's already there. Oh, and it's, uh, the door's open now. It's all, it's all right. We're doing this. So clearly, clearly Vicky would get lasered. How about you, Alex? Would you get through this? Yeah, of course. Hmm. I'm not so sure. Which is exactly the answer someone who totally believes in their own worth would say. <laughs> yeah, of course I would. Why are you asking? I just wondered. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Um, um, so they get through. He gets yeah, through it's that pretty gate. gory, though. We've got giant stone breasts and a charred corpse. You actually see, like, the burnt corpse inside the knight's armour. It's a fairly grim moment for a U-rated film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, uh, so Atreyu gets through that. He's got to go through the magic mirror gate where he's confronted with his true self, uh, which is a bit like... It reminds me a bit of um, that... Bit with Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back here, uh, except mm. Atreus faced with uh, Bastion, and um, and then we get to the Southern Oracle where they've just repurposed the Sphinxes and turned them blue, <laughs> haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> running out of money. I, yeah, but at this point they'll be too distracted by the uh, the, the the dragon. You mean the dog? Shut up! <laughs> this is the point though where I think they started running out of money because uh, a couple of things happen. We get the sphinxes twice, um, and uh, coming up we've got the battle between uh, Atreyu and the Gumork the wolf, which is such a disappointment. Um, yeah, it really is. In terms of it's just a, a sort of man in a dog suit jumping on a dagger and then lying on the floor <laughs> looking like a big puppet. So, um, But uh, we've got another one of those arbitrary rules where the Empress needs a new name, but it can't be from Fantasia. A human child must come up with the name. And then you're just skipping over how scary the Empress is. So we just, we're just oh accepting it. Oh, my God. It. Yeah. Do you, not, do you not find her like all different flavors of weird? I don't think we've got to the Empress yet. Okay. You just said the Empress, didn't you? Yeah, the uh, the Oracle tells him that the Empress needs a new name. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Because before we meet her, um, we've got that quote that you mentioned, uh, Alex, uh, that speech by the Rockbiter. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is another one of these really upsetting moments. He says, they look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? I always thought that's what they were. My little friends, the little man with his racing snail, the night hob, even the stupid bat, I couldn't hold on to them. No, nothing pulled them right out of my hands. I failed. I will just sit here and let it take me away. They look like good, strong hands, don't they? And then he just weeps. <laughs> good yeah. read, Chris. Good read. <laughs> I mean... You are hired. <laughs> this yeah. is why I need a nap. Um, <laughs> but it's... I mean, it's heartbreaking. The, the hits keep coming in this film. Um, you know, when we're talking about structure, we talk about the all is lost moment. There's one every 10 minutes in this film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we understand yes, about, as I said, that Fantasia is all about the dreams and hopes of mankind. Uh, we've got that fight with Gwalt that I mentioned. And then, as you said, we meet the childlike empress. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So had clearly you have opinions. Because, yeah. Had they spent all their money on brown eyeshadow for a 10-year-old girl? 
Is that where all the budget went? <laughs> you know, what's the film? Um, there's something wrong with Esther. What's that film? Um, oh, fuck's sake. Orphan. The, orf- the Orphan, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She, yeah. She's not actually a child. She's actually like 30 odd years old. Uh, spoiler alert. If you, have, if you haven't seen Orphan, spoiler alert, that is the ending of the film. <laughs> Cheers to that, Vic. Yeah. They, they, they normally come before the spoiler, Chris, just for, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's the same thing. But <laughs> She's the same, but it's just not a murderer, I thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, they creep me out. Kids who have that adult vibe about yes. them. You know who she reminded me of? It was um, the Red Queen in Resident Evil. Yeah. The projection of the creator's daughter where she goes, you're all going to die down here. I was like, oh, yeah. I actually, I was on a tube once. You remember when the um, tubes used to, the lights used to flicker on and off and it was all quite ominous? I was sitting opposite a father who was distracted reading the paper and his kid, who must have been about five, and the tannoy um, voice went, the next station is Good Street. Good Street is the next station. And the kid turned to his dad and went, what does that mean, Daddy? And the dad sort of went, oh, it's just uh, about the next station. And the kid looked right at me and went, it tells us that a war is coming and the lights (laughs) flickered on and off. And I was like, what the shit just happened? That's amazing. Is that true? (laughs) Absolutely true. I love that. Was that just before the second Gulf War as well? <laughs> oh. um, uh, the childlike emperors. Uh, the actress actually follows me on Twitter, so I'm not going to say anything no! bad about her. No, she's very, very, very good. Um, what does Brilliant. she do now? Um, like, is she an actor? She, now? She's got back into acting. She became a dancer uh, for a long time, and uh, she's just done a couple of films. Yeah, so she's back into acting, and she does look quite pretty similar. Actually, she's not changed all that much. Hmm. Have you ever communicated with her? Does she follow you just because she follows you? Or? I might have asked her to um, send us her, her bits Sorry. for the film. <laughs> <laughs> I might have asked send her bits for the film in terms of MVW scene and what she would change, and no response. Oh, I thought you were going to b- 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 just blow yeah. up freaking mind. But if she does send it after we've recorded this, I will pop them on uh, Twitter. But yeah, she she explains uh, that's where she says that great moment that you said, Alex, where uh, we're sharing the adventures that Bastion's sharing, that Atreus sharing, and we're kind of part of the story. Mm-hmm. She breaks the fourth wall and addresses Bastion directly, which is addressing us directly, which is a really cool moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It ties back Only to the her big... and Burt Reynolds have ever pulled that off, um, <laughs> and Michael Caine, and Michael Caine, um, and it ties back to yeah, the Michael beginning Caine. about Bastian being worried about having to keep his feet on the ground like his father's told him, which is really uh, a nice touch. <clears throat> and then we get him screaming, screaming his mother's uh, name, which was such a mystery when I was a child. I don't know about you two, Moon Child. Maybe child. <laughs> Because you can't hear it. That's the only research I did. <laughs> you, you can't hear it very well. And back in the day, you didn't have <laughs> subtitles on a video or in the cinema. And so I remember it being a mystery talking to people, to mates about like, what, what does he say at the end? What does he sp-? And also it's his mum's name. So even if you can half hear Moonchild, you think, well, his mum can't be called bloody Moonchild because she's a human. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it because, you know, uh, life, but you can go down quite a wormhole on the internet about the origins of Moonchild and what that means in terms of the film, which takes you into the works of Alistair Crowley oh. and uh, oh, other really? such. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. 
All right. Let's well, touch base about that later. Well, speaking of the devil, cool, cool. Um, we're told that Fantasia can arise in Bastion and through his hopes and dreams. So Bastion basically becomes God uh, now, which is kind mm. of heavy. Um, and so with each... And this is all good. This whole bit's good. This is all really trippy and Fantasia becomes a grain of sand. And this is great. And then it's not, it stops being great. Oh, what, why, why is that, Alex? Well, the, I mean, you're going to come to it. I'm going to let you guide us to it. But I, I feel like all of this bit that you're talking about, I was like, this is some heavy stuff and I love it. And then it, they just Hollywood up the ending because they have to and they've cut the book in half. And so suddenly we get Bloody Bastion on the back of Falcor racing around the streets of New York or wherever it's meant to be. But I loved, I loved that ending. <laughs> No, uh, I, no, it all happens. It all happens so quickly. You cannot love an ending. That go, I mean, I can forgive the dragon dog in the sky chasing the bullies into the alley because it is wish fulfillment. And yeah, it's great. I mean, I have problems with surely that makes front page fucking news the following day. There was a <laughs> dragon in this city and you can't just sort of go. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm just not sure about about that. It's the fact that then, at the very end, we've got the dragon and the voiceover goes, Bastion made many other wishes and many other adventures before returning to the ordinary world. But that's another story. Bye-bye. Have you got, it's too quick. Have you got a problem with this, Vicky? No, it's, I really like that scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Alex is with Michael End here because this was this ending that I previously referred to that he was very upset. It wasn't a story of revenge. He was going for something deeper. He actually held a press conference in Stuttgart to denounce it, the revolting movie. Um, and this is when he... Jesus, this man <laughs> has too yeah. much time on his he hands. He needs a hobby or another project. <laughs> this is when he... Write this, another book. This is when he demanded that his, was he... his name be removed from the credits. Um, he said the makers... Of this... He was idolised because he was like... He... I think he moved to Rome after writing this and apparently like people used to go and like camp outside his house because they were so in love with his work. So I think maybe he got a bit used to that and he was, I think he became, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, maybe a bit of an egotist. Uh, he said the makers of the film simply did not understand the book at all. They just wanted to make money. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, he said, I saw, <laughs> I saw the... Hey, it's... <laughs> They it's call it show business. business. <laughs> uh, and he said, I saw the final script five days before the premiere and only as a result of a judicial verdict in Munich. I was horrified. They had changed the whole sense of the story. Fantastica, because that's what it's called in the book. Uh, Fantastica reappears with no creative force from Bastion. For me, this was the essence of the book. So, so uh, Michael's with you about that ending. But um, for me as a six-year-old, I found it very uh, satisfying that the two worlds collide and uh, Bastion gets to ride Falcor like you want to ride Falcor and then um, gets yeah. revenge on his own bullies, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I can, I can be wrong about that. I'm happy to be wrong about that. Yeah. Cool. Um, and cool, that's cool. the end. So any more for any more on this one or should we get to the bits? Uh, let's do the bits, Ricky. Yes, please. Okay. Okay. Uh, Favourite scene, Vicky? It's uh, Bastion flying with Falcor at the end. 
<laughs> Honestly, just because everything is okay, everything's put right, and it's a kids' film, and that's what you need. And also, it helped me out of a tight spot because then our text is back, and I was like, "See, kids went through the tunnel. The horse is fine." Um, but you, it's a child's film. You you can't. Yeah, it's a bit too much, I think, to walk away to be like, "Oh, everything's awful." So it fixes everything, and that's what you want. I'm going to redeem myself now with. Um... Let me just redeem myself with the bully scene while Vicky's talking about it, because uh, you know the main bully in the bully scene. Um, yeah. yeah, he is uh, an actor who played Belch in the TV movie of It with Tim Curry. Yeah, he plays Belch <laughs> in the TV series of It with Tim Curry. That's this week's Tim Curry reference. <laughs> ding, ding, <box>. ding. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, go on. Uh, my favourite scene is Bastion riding on the back of Falcor at the end of the movie. <laughs> Oh, your boat! Oh, come on! Um, although I will say, I will say, I do think it's weird um, that he asked for a ride on a dog dragon rather than for his mum back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or a nice dad, or something. <laughs> uh, Alex, yeah. favorite scene? Oh shit! Sorry, Falco, Falco. Sorry, can I? I, I just realised there was another wish I should have done. I'm sorry, Bastian. You only get no. It was going to be about my mum. No, no, just the one wish. No, no comebacks. No one does. Yeah, that's ridiculous. What would? You, how would you feel, Victoria, if if one of your kids were given a wish to make mummy come back, or and they went, or anyway. the biscuit? <laughs> They would one hundred percent choose the biscuit. <laughs> not even, or just like not even a biscuit, just like a, a piece of cheese, not a whole bit, of, like not cheese on anything, just a bit of no, cheese. No, just a small piece of cheese. Yeah, they would take that. They, I've t- said this to you before. If me and Mark like, like passed away one night, we just died in our sleep. The kids would fucking eat us, no doubt. Like they would, <laughs> like they're like wild animals. Uh, Alex, um, right, my best scene, scene. Yeah, is. Um, I can't believe you haven't picked it. I mean, it's it's not a nice scene, but it's Artex. Artex um, sinking into the swamp of sadness. I, honestly, it's genuinely one of the most uh, powerful scenes. Harrowing, awful, depressing. Yeah, but amazing for those reasons. So I'm picking Artex uh, in okay, the swamp uh, of sadness. You've, you've got to be pretty sick to pick that as your favourite scene. But moving on, uh, Alex, <laughs> what is your MVW? <laughs> I'm not... Uh, Chris, I'm not very well. Uh, my MVW is um, the attic at the school. Uh, I, I love it. I, honestly, I think of all the things that make you really like, it's that coziness when there's a storm outside and you're in this attic and like you're away from everyone. And it's sort of, it's exactly how you want to lose yourself in a book mm. and like, I really like it. Be- I really like the setting for that. It beautifully romanticizes it. And I think that's why it made me race out and buy the book of this film because I almost mm. wanted to recreate it if I could. And yeah, that's a lovely thing. Uh, Vicky? Uh, the Empress, because it is it's a very powerful performance. And to say that she's on screen for, like, I don't know, less than 10 minutes, it's the thing that was quoted the most in the playground when I was little. And it's the thing that I remember the most from the film, sort of going back into it as an adult. Like her just beseeching the camera and you in full face makeup, like, <laughs> call my name endlessly. It's it's really, um, <laughs> I don't know. Say my name. <laughs> Say my name, bitch. Call <laughs> my name. Um, yeah, it's really stayed with me. Um, and it's equally powerful to watch it as all grown up. 
Are you just saying that because you know that she follows me on Twitter and might listen to this? No, I didn't know that before you said I don't follow you on this Twitter, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, this this Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for the song, obviously. Uh, Yay! It's, it's one of the best things about this movie, if not the best thing. Um, I, I know, what I noticed this time is it fades in and fades out, making the song never-ending, which I think is a really nice touch. Oh, um, Wolfgang Peterson. Oh. Well, Giorgio Moroder. Giorgio Moroder, because it, it's the actual single yeah. fades in and out. Um, yeah, yeah, but he, he, Wolfgang Peterson will have given it the okay, Chris. I mean, he will have been involved. He is a legendary director. Hmm? Hmm? And it got a new lease of life last year when it was in Stranger Things. Um, uh, and oh, I, yeah. I went to Secret Cinema and I could talk about it now because it's done. Uh, and the big climax of that is everyone sort of singing along and dancing to never ending story and there was a bloke next to me so angry when it came he goes he goes no way no fucking way and just stood there refusing to dance and i'm thinking what the fuck were you expecting mate you've come to stranger things fucking secret cinema like i just the anger on this guy's face why do you think he was so angry he was too cool for school he didn't want to end his night dancing to fucking never ending story it's like mate what do you think you've come to yeah. No bad. All right, what would you change? Uh, the fact that it ends. I, I feel. I, I know. I, I know that you like the dragon, and I don't mind the dragon. Now you've convinced me. But it ends. I feel it ends really quickly. Like I, I, there's something rushed. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know whether it's just a very sort of like Bastion did a lot more that you're not going to see um, until Never Ending Story Two, which I haven't seen. But um, yeah, I just, it feels it feels clipped. That's the word, clipped. Yeah. feels clipped at the end. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in because my change, I'm, I'm sort of on the same page as you there. Uh, I, I, there were a couple of sequels that were basically afterthoughts. Um, the second one did try to do some of the, the rest of the book. But I would have loved a sequel by this director and this cast that did justice to the rest of the book. Because I'll just, yeah. I'll just give you a couple of sentences of what happens. Um, for each wish, Bastion loses a memory of his life as a human. And he's unaware of this at first, but he goes through Fantastica having adventures and telling stories while losing his own memories. Um, He creates creatures and dangers for himself to conquer and decides to take over Fantastica himself. But Atreyu has to stop him and they end up fighting each other. Um, And then Bastion is then reduced to two memories, that of his father and of his own name. So it comes back to the name thing. And then after more adventures, he must give up the memory of his father uh, if he wants Fantastica to survive. And it's just, it's really interesting the places it goes. Um, yeah. And then he understands. That I don't, the- you, that's, that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, what? Yeah, it's like, dad isn't great. Yeah, Bastion. <laughs> Have an egg. <laughs> it's the book father, though, rather than the film father. And, and he, he realizes his greatest wish is to be capable of love and to give love to others and reconnect with his father. Um, so it would have been great to have that following on from this with all these people, but it wasn't to be, I think because maybe Michael End blocked it. <laughs> uh, Vicky, what would oh, you shit. change? Um, you have said it earlier, but it's, the structure is a bit messed up. So for me, so Artex dies in the wrong place and it just, I mean, it threw me now as a grown up. It's like, why are we, why is this very sad thing happening now when you could sort of save that moment for a bit of narrative propulsion, if you will, um, later on? Or the other change is 
it's actually agreeing with Michael Ends is to introduce Bastian's direct influence on the story a bit earlier. Um, because I, that's how I pitched it to my children. I was like, oh, a boy gets sucked into a story and they thought that was brilliant. And they didn't shut up saying that for the full like 98 minutes or whatever it is. And I realized I got it wrong and he doesn't really do that until the end. And it was extremely irritating. So I messed up. But if they could help me out a bit and just have Bastian in the story a bit earlier, that would um, make my life easier. Good shout. Does anyone uh, fancy a uh, very quick, I will say, very quick quiz uh, to end this episode? How do you feel about that? Really excited. Yes, go for it. So this quiz, thanks, Chris. This quiz is called, Was This Movie Based on a Book? <laughs> it's very simple. Okay. Uh, very simple this week. Um, obviously... Both these films that we're covering, The Princess Bride and The NeverEnding Story, were based on books. So I'm going to give you seven movies, and I just want to know if you think they were based on a book or not. Are you ready for number one? Yes. Yes. Great. Uh, so was this movie based on a book? Number one, Forrest Gump. Was Forrest no. Gump based? Yes, 100,000%. Chris is right. Forrest What's Gump it? was based on a book. Uh, it was written by Winston Groom, and uh, the author originally wanted Forrest Gump to be placed, played by John Goodman. Apparently, it's not very much like the film. Uh, there's a, a bit in the book where he goes into space with a monkey and crash lands back on an island full of cannibals that he has to beat at chess to escape being eaten. Okay. I, I think it's a kid's book, isn't it? If I'm not... Completely wrong. Well, Chris, you're the reader around here, you bloody reader. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, question number two. Was this based on a book, Armageddon? No. No. Uh, you're both wrong. Oh. It was based on a short story Michael Bay wrote called Big Explosion Asteroid Boom Boom. Get it, men? <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> it wasn't based on a book. You were right. That's a point each. <sighs> Uh, so two one to Chris. Legally Blonde was Legally Blonde based on a book. Does it? Does an article count as a book? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, then yes, it was based on a book. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say no. <laughs> Uh, well, level pegging. It was based on a book. Uh, it was called Legally Blonde by Amanda Brown uh, in the novel. Um, it's not exactly the same um, as. Uh, the movie because Elle goes to Stanford Law School, not Harvard. So a oh, uh, big change there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Psycho, book or no book first? It is based on a book. Uh, no. Vicky takes the lead. It was based on a book by Robert Block. Uh, Psycho was based on a book uh, that people uh, mistakenly thought was about Ed Gein, but wasn't. Uh, uh, all I right, read the so... book. <laughs> Why did you say no? I don't then? know. I was thinking about Ed Gein, <laughs> which is obviously, is obviously based on Ed Gein as well. Um, as a, yeah. as a lot of these characters, are... I'm such an idiot. Well, well played, Vicky. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Three, two to Vicky. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Was it a book first? Uh, no. Uh, yes. Are you looking it up? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm trying to. laughs> 
<laughs> Chris is right. Suspicion. Uh, we're back to level pegging. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a 1981 novel by Gary K. Wolf um, called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Um, the big difference in the book is they're famous comic strip characters, mm-hmm. uh, not cartoons, like Snoopy. All right, back to the future. Book or no book? This is the penultimate one, by the way. That is not based we- on a book. It's definitely not based on a book. You are both right. Uh, it was not based on a book. Although he uh, could say it was because um, Bob Gale got inspiration while reading his dad's yearbook from school. That's how it all started. Oh, I, oh, I guess so. So you're both wrong. It was based on a book. Uh, so currently Chris has four. Vicky has four. It's all down to this final one. Was The Prestige, the Christopher Nolan movie, based on a book? Yes. Yes. We have a tie this week. Isn't that lovely? It was based on a book, a 1995 novel by Christopher Priest. Uh, Well done. That's the quiz over. Um, We all had fun and everyone leaves happy. And that is uh, the end of this episode. Uh, Chris, I know you want to... Yeah, very quickly, I want to interrupt your outro um, because obviously uh, last week's uh, duo was uh, the Full Monty and Magic Mike. And in the Full Monty episode, there was some controversy um, I'm going to call it I'm all in gate. Um, <laughs> Vicky, how do you feel about your claims about uh, Mark Addy's penis going inside his body um, a few days? <laughs> a, retract- a, a retractable penis. A retractable penis. <laughs> um, if you've ever met me for more than five seconds, you will know what I'm about to say, which is I double down and I'm d- more right than I've ever been. <laughs> have you, have you, have you, I'm sure Alex has done this. See, so have you rewatched the scene since? <laughs> I know it off by heart. I don't need to rewatch you it. You don't know it off by heart. You cannot know it off by heart. It's phys- it, it is impossible for the position he is lying in when he says, I'm all in, yeah. like regardless of the fact it makes <laughs> new sense, he cannot, his penis cannot be back round. It would have to wrap round his body. Well, it made me, I actually, I actually then started looking this up um, and I found an article from Men's Health last September which starts out yeah. saying, uh, you wake up one morning and notice your penis looks a little shorter. Soon you're convinced you're uh-huh. losing length by the day. After a while, if you don't take action, your member is practically gone. It sounds like a nightmare, but it's actually a real medical condition. It's called a buried penis, also known as a <laughs> hidden penis. And doctors think more and more cases of this. And then I stopped reading that because I became annoyed that Vicky had reduced me to this shit. Um, <laughs> I've actually posted the scene in question on uh, our Twitter, and it's pretty clear what he's talking about. If you rewatch yeah. the scene, it's that he's and you started out correct, Vicky. If you li- if I re-listen to the podcast, you did. You said he's tired, and he say what he means is yeah. I'm done in. He, he doesn't say done, but he says I'm all in. He's, oh. He means I'm knackered. <laughs> I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. He's oh. not talking about his penis. It's really clear when you rewatch it. Um, but um, you've upset some of our listeners. Um, oh, I Jim, so Jim Crook message us say how Vicky could interpret it this way is beyond me. Um, Tom says that is either some damn pretty good party trick or I need to see a doctor. Um, James says I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but she's convinced me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 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 James. James. And then James, no. um, Grout says, I've just listened to this and I'm still very confused. <laughs> so this is what you've done, Vicky. You've confused uh, the men of, of the world with your claims of buried cocks. 
I mean, the tired thing does make a lot of sense how <laughs> you say it like that. And I also, I don't think you should say buried cocks because I, I can actually imagine Victoria has a, a garden full of buried <laughs> cocks. <laughs> uh, yeah. And before we go, uh, do you want a clue before the next episode? They're my choices for next week. Do you want a clue, you two and the lovely listeners? Oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, go on. Okay. The clue is uh, two words. It is frozen assets. Okay. Any guesses off the top of your head before we go? Frozen assets. Yes. Um, that film I like that's about ice skaters. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> uh, if it's that, I'm going to be yeah. so pleased. The, the cutting edge. Blades of Glory. Blades of Glory. Blades the of Glory. Edge. The cutting edge. Is that it? You'll just have to wait till the next episode to find out. Oh, oh! Very, good. very good. All right, that's us done. And we'll be back on Thursday with the Princess Bride. If you haven't watched it already, get your homework done. Uh, and obviously hit us up on Twitter at ClashPod. Or indeed, uh, you can email us if you want to be in touch. Uh, it's show at ClashPod. Uh, show at ClashPod.com. Yeah. Um, please do subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Speak to you on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.